Hello there and welcome to Twitch here, well, Bunkazilla on Twitch tonight for another edition of Film Raw. This time we're trying a completely different live setup, so it's quite exciting, isn't it? I am your host as always, Ian Bolton, and we're here to digest the latest movie news and movie reviews. And of course, I need to be accompanied by someone, and he's right here, well, hopefully at a, di at a, at a safe, reasonable distance from me. It is, of course, Christian R. Allen. Oh, me? Yes, you. Excellent, yes. Oh, how are you doing? I decided to celebrate how uncomfortably warm the world is today. Yes, I've got tissue. Uh, yeah, <laughs> bless you. It is really I'm, warm. Really, I, really warm. I'm wearing a thick black shirt and drinking coffee, so I'm, I'm not. it's not helping at all, really. In fact, it's making things worse. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lovely day to start trying to do a, a, live, a live show together. <laughs> well, the fact that you've lost about two stone in water weight. Just I, for I seriously have lost a considerable, uh, not a considerable amount, but I've money. Wait, I haven't lost money. I've lost weight. <laughs> um, I have lost a very interesting amount of weight. I think I've lost about four or five kilograms over the last couple of days, and that's simply because I've just been sweating. I mean, have you found your mattress is just the same consistency as a water bed I, now? I literally, I? I literally have to have a towel. I have to have towels everywhere because it's like. <laughs> It's like, I am so sweaty. Oh. It's like, you can see now, I am really sweaty. And it's like, I haven't been doing anything. It's like, I had a cool shower before we started the show. Oh, you could have warned me about that while I was in there. Yeah, true, true. Right. Is, there, is there a total lack of friction on your body if I, if I was to stroke your face, which I won't because no. of... Because of social, social distancing. distancing. Like, Jinx, you owe me a coat. Yeah, true. Um, if, if I was to touch your face with my with the force, or lack of force, just slap my arm across. <laughs> like, oh. I, I'd, rather, I'd rather not wonder that, to be this, perfectly this honest. This is the first time our, our wonderful <laughs> viewers that Ian has denied the opportunity to be touched by me. So I'm normally just touching your heart, which is more metaphorical than literal. Littoral. Well, this is a great start to the show. Hello. <laughs> so, as always, do let us know uh, what you've been watching this week at cinema, on streaming, on DVD, Blu-ray. Do let us know what you've been watching in the Twitch chat. We would love to hear from you. But as we always start our shows, we start it off with our cinematic week. Ooh. So uh, let's get the fancy new screen going because Ooh, we are on Twitch. So if you are listening to this on our audio podcast version, we are going to do this live every Wednesday around 7.30 on twitch.tv slash bunkers in the UK. All one shiny word. Do come and join us. <laughs> it's a very shiny word. It's a very shiny word. So let's have a cinematic week. Ooh. What's the first film you're going to talk to us about, Christian? Uh, the first film we're going to talk about is The Free Burials of uh, Melchides Estrada. Okay, let's bring up the cinematic week screen. Huzzah! Oh, wow, you got the poster. Oh. Oh, I like the composition of that. Yes. Like, it's nice. It's like we've been planning on this. It's been working. <laughs> I, I will say, my, I guess the camera's just close on me. I look twice the size than I normally do because I could assure you it's the other way around. <laughs> so I, I'm half the man Ian Bolton is. It's trying to at least make sure that I'm in the frame. <laughs> just, I'm just going to get your chest nipple height, obviously. <laughs> so tell us about Free Burial. Yeah, so it's um, Tommy Lee Jones. Um, I believe it's his directorial debut. He, really? Uh, yeah, he, uh, unless I'm mistaken, because he's done a few things since. He probably uh, has. Um, but um, if I'm, I need to double check that, I should have probably checked that before. The That's okay. Yeah. But I know, I know Tommy Lee Jones definitely did direct this. It's like I'm surprised this is his first time directing. Well, it's 2005. Yeah, okay. so that, that is <laughs> that is 15 years ago. Even though in my head, the the Matrix came out in 1999. Yeah. And I, I still feel like the Matrix came out last year. 
I, I don't know uh, why. Are you, are, just, you living in the, are you living in the past, Christian? I, I'm always living in the past. Nostalgia <laughs> is a curse. Like, but um, no, it's a, it's a neo-Western. Um, and basically, Tommy Lee Jones plays a cowboy who's close friend, um, a Mexican uh, migrant living in Texas, um, is killed. And the film is non-linear. There's an air of mystery as to how he died. Um, and the film takes its time sort of unravelling the, the plot. And um, it's quite compelling. It's very compelling viewing. Um, Tommy Lee Jones' character, he starts to believe that basically justice isn't being served and becomes a vigilante mm-hmm. and kidnaps um, um, a character played by Barry Pepper, mm. who is a slightly dodgy chap. He's a border agent who's more than happy to uh, brutalise the um, uh, women who are desperately trying to flee across the border. Um, so you're not exactly, not particularly empathising with okay. the character. Okay. And Tommy Lee Jones kidnaps him, mm-hmm. and we're not entirely sure what his plans are, whether or not he's just going to uh, torture him for information or like straight up murder him. Um, okay. That's that's the initial setup. I don't want to talk anymore because I feel like this is very much a film that the less you know, the better the experience will be going in. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it's also quite... It, it's a very nuanced um, piece. It's quite emotionally complex. There is no real no real straight hero, no real straight villain, even um, Pepper's character, despite the fact that he's clearly the most despicable character introduced in the film mm. up until in the third act. There's still... It, it's, a, it's a fully fledged performance. It feels very real. Um, so yeah, it, I I would highly recommend it. I, I I just watched it randomly without really knowing much about the film at all. I didn't okay. even realise Tommy Lee Jones had directed anything, to be mm. honest. So I, I don't think this film made much of an impact on its release. Did this come before or after Old No Country for Old Men? Oh, before about three four before, years. Before okay, yeah. all right, all right. Because I wasn't I'm not sure if Tommy Lee Jones had sort of established himself as the sort of uh, go to mm. for the uh, the sort of like grizzled, cowboy-esque, mm. neo-Western character. Like. <laughs> true, 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 true. So what else have you been watching? Well, sticking to Tommy Lee Jones, um, I decided to revisit uh, Clint Eastwood's Space Cowboys. OK, let's uh, bring up the poster here. Let's have a look at the poster. Oh, oh, oh look are. at them. There they are. Look yep. at them. They're so, all cool. They're, they're all cool. They've got, their, <laughs> they've got their things. It's like, we could try that. We could try that right now. It's like, all we have to do is just kind of look like that, look towards the camera, smile, and pretend we have sunglasses on. But we're being blinded by I, the by the camera lens. I have sunglasses on the other side of the room, but if I stand up, I'm going to be yeah, cut you're, off. Yeah, you're, you're going to get... You're Get in the way. I'm just gonna oh. get in the way. Never mind. <laughs> We're like. Um, anyway, let's talk. Anyway, talk about uh, Space Cowboys. Have you seen the film before? I have many, many years ago. Probably when I was about 10, 11, 12. It's like it's. It was part of the usual kind of uh, Saturday night takeaway, laugh at casualty, and <laughs> then watch a film. Laugh at casualty. But well, casualty. Um, <laughs> We might have been this on a, on a previous episode of The Big Stomp, which you can download from more good podcast networks, by the way. Um, we talked about how casualty was always like, how how is someone going to get injured in casualty? Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you, you spend 10 minutes trying to yeah, work out. It's, it's, you're, not, you're not tense. You're just, you're just going, well, I see they're at a construction site. They're looking after a very pointy machinery item like i don't know a jackhammer how are they going to hurt themselves i don't know he's not wearing shoes <laughs> oh no there goes his foot <laughs> anyway i am distracting talk about space cowboys yeah space cowboys so clint eastwood tommy lee jones you have donald sullivan um sutherland sorry and james gardner mm-hmm. 
they're basically playing the stereotypical characters they're long they they're associated with. So mm. they're not really they're not really um, stretching their um, their art as as actors. Okay, but that's the film doesn't really demand that at all. I mean, it, it's basically Clint Eastwood in space. <laughs> well, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's not Dirty Harry in space, though, is it? It's not quite Dirty Harry. It's um. I've had very bad ideas on this already. So have you, you've been writing fan fiction about no, Dirty I've, Harry I've in just space. Had, I've just had very bad parodies in my mind. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm amazed. How many? There was about like, what seventeen thousand Dirty Harry movies, weren't there? Um, or five, close no, to five, the <laughs> five, five, six, seven. Depends if you count Grand Torino and stuff like that. What is that meant to be? A... I don't think it is, but it is angry like Clint Eastwood. It is angry Clint Eastwood of Get Off My Lawn. That that's most Clint Eastwood. <laughs> most Clint Eastwood films. Get off my lawn. Get off oh. my lawn. Okay. He's very. I mean, here he's very much get off my lawn. By which I mean, um, get off my you know, my Soviet era satellite, which I have to repair, otherwise it will crash into the earth, and all sorts of shenanigans will happen. Uh, James Cromwell. He he plays the um sort of like a. a um, a uh, senior official in NASA. Yeah, he's in this, isn't he? Yeah, I think. I think. Is it? Is it just gather all your el- uh, older friends together? Film. It feels that way. Yeah. I mean, the. I mean, he didn't bring a pig. No, no, no. no. So come on, round, round, round up Clint and the boys. <laughs> it would have been great if the pig had been sent up, <laughs> like the monkeys. There was, I, I will say. I will say this film. It's a very enjoyable Sunday afternoon dad movie. Yeah. yeah. No, I, um, I can, I can, I can see that. I can and see uh, that. me and my partner, we were thoroughly entertained. Mm. I mean, it is, it's one of the more popcorn knee, if that is a word, mm. popcorny um, Clint Eastwood movies that he's ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, no, I really enjoyed it. It's just, it's a thoroughly good time. You know, there, you, you do fall for the characters because yeah. you, you love the actors who are playing them, and that's, that's, you know, again, it's you're not watching a character played by Clint Eastwood. You're watching Clint Eastwood in yeah. space. He might have thought he actually was in space. <laughs> I just going slightly off tangent. I know of you know Bill Hader. Yeah, he's done lots of Clint Eastwood impersonations for Saturday Night Live. And you remember that famous Super Bowl advert where he's sort of promoting like a Dodge Dodge car or something like where he's just he's just going America it's half time. Yes, and it's it just they've done different versions of it and it just gets more and more ludicrous. It's like you're wondering how high my trousers are. They're up to here. <laughs> and for the benefit of those listening on audio podcast, I am pointing to my pecs. I'm just a... <laughs> Your beautiful nips. My beautiful nips. Yeah, no. Oh, Your sweaty, sweaty nipples. Sweat. It is so... It's so warm. It's anyway, so warm. It's so, so warm. warm. It's so warm. Shall we move on to your third and final film of the episode? Or uh, for third semester? Yeah, book? absolutely. I mean, a bit more... I, I stuck with Clint Eastwood, um, and um, I decided to watch uh, Letters from Iwo Jima. There we go. There's the poster on the screen. Yes. Um, it's a very haunting movie. It's. Um, I think it's my favourite... Um, it's... I'm not sure what my favourite Clint Eastwood movie is. Until, I, so I there, th- there, are, there are some extraordinary... Um, Clint Eastwood films out there. Uh, I love Million Dollar Baby. I, I'm a big fan of Million, Million Dollar, Dollar Baby. Baby. I only watched Unforgiven. I was going to say Unforgiven is probably my favourite, and Unforgiven is incredible. And it, you also did Changeling, which I think you you responded. Oh gosh! You, well, I know I know you've had it, you've had a response to Changeling, but I know when we've talked about um, films along the lines of directed by Clint Eastwood, Changeling has been one of them. I think. Yeah, I mean, Changeling is a very... I, I would recommend it. It's just infuriating. The story mm. being told is so maddening. 
Mm. Um, and the fact that it's based on a true story as well. It, yeah. It's just, I, I, it's the only film I've watched where I found myself screaming at a character. Mm. Like, uh, I won't repeat the words here, but they were, it was profanity laden. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're friendly for the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Clint Eastwood as a director, mm. fan of it as an actor, obviously, um, especially the Sergio Leone movies. Oh, yeah. um, but um, yeah, so it was, it was surprising that this is. This and Flags of Our Fathers, which is a companion piece, uh, I haven't seen before. Mm. And I'm hoping to watch Flags of Our Fathers at some point this week so I can talk about it next episode. Mm. But this is this is a really interesting film. It's, it's quite... Um, it's, it's surprising that this is an American uh, war movie from a Japanese perspective. Um, and normally, <laughs> normally the Japanese in these films are caricatures. They're not even played by Japanese performers most of the time. They're mm. not even played by American, Japanese or, or Korean or Chinese. Um, and, and, and the Japanese have been quite frustrated by this because apparently the accents have always been quite off, mm. you know, when they're being like slaughtered by John Wayne on his own. Mm. Um, so it was quite refreshing to see a film like this, where the I, I wouldn't say it, I wouldn't say it glamorizes the uh, imperial army, but it certainly portrays. It feels like it's portraying an authentic, honest um, army. There, there are sycophants. There are mm. the, the usual overzealous monstrous commanders but then there are there are the, the sort of the lowly soldiers who are just you know just thrown there who have wives and, and children I'm, at home I'm, I'm right in thinking that obviously for authenticity this is also filmed in japanese with oh yes yes full japanese cast yeah. um it's in japanese mm. um it's subtitled um and um actually ken watanabe who's probably more well known in the West for um, sort of cameos in Nolan movies, like yeah. he plays the the fake Ra's al Ghul and Batman Begins. Mm. Um, spoiler: Liam Neeson is Ra's al Ghul. Um, <laughs> I was about to say Leslie <laughs> Nelson. Then that would have been a very different movie. <laughs> da, 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 da. He's also got a cameo in Inception as well, hasn't he? Oh, didn't he get? Did he? <laughs> so you're just thinking of Leslie Nelson, aren't you? Um, I'm trying to talk about a very serious war movie here. Don't make me come over there and slap you. <laughs> What movies do you want to throw Leslie Nelson into now? Oh, I think that I think that's uh, something for the chat room. If if you're watching and you and you know who Leslie Nelson is from Naked Gun Airplane, how do you not know who? Well, you never know. Some some viewers might not know the joys speaking, of Airplane or the joys of, of Airplane. Imagine him throwing him into like Air Force One or Con Air. <laughs> oh, that that movie's improved like uh, infinitely. You can you can imagine you can imagine Nicolas Cage is about to land a plane or something like that and all of a sudden it's like just want to tell you in a cage good luck we'll count on you <laughs> who was that man oh no Leon Rhymes. I don't know <laughs> your, your, your hair's growing quite long you've almost got the sort of Con Air Nick Cage like look going through at the moment um, but yeah going back to this serious movie serious movie serious movie talk <laughs> no um it's um yeah it's one of it's one of the best war movies i've ever watched let alone one of the best clint eastwood movies i've ever seen mm. um uh watanabe him, him, himself he portrays um a real life general um Kuribayashi, mm. who um basically he seems to be one of the few sane leaders who is aware that there is no hope mm. and <laughs> decides to go against convention no no um pointless suicide missions although the mission itself is one glorious suicide mission uh, he's determined to keep the americans as far away from the homeland as long as possible fair enough um and yeah it is fascinating i mean it's a strange one watching a war movie where you're not <laughs> you're not rooting for the i don't know if protagonist is the right word but the sort of the, the focus of intention of attention i should say the, ca- the the characters that are in the focus of the storytelling are yeah. 
engaging, I think. Is uh, absolutely engaging, and they're fa- fascinating, and you do you do feel you do feel for them mm. um, because I mean the, the war, regardless of what side you're on, war is hell, mm. and the conditions are horrendous. Yeah, and I think Clint Eastwood do, do, does a very admirable job. I'm f- really fascinated about Flags of Our Fathers because it's effectively the same movie from the other side. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I'm, I'm not sure if he filmed it um, together. Mm. Um, I think I think he did film them kind of one after the other because it was like it was a double bill because they had they had flags of our fathers. Yes, flags of our fathers. Flags of our fathers. Yeah, yeah, flags of our fathers. Like released in like September or it released it released just before Christmas and then just after Christmas. Let us Apologies about mispronouncing. Apologies. Um, that film came out then. Well, it's, it's certainly interesting because. Um, um, they're both, you're right, they were both released around the same time and it was the Japanese um, story that actually was more financially successful, mm. both domestically in the States. It was, it was a big hit in, in Japan. Was it critically the more successful? I believe so, yes. Okay. And I, that's why I'm, another reason I'm interested in it, because you'd think... It might just be the novelty of it being a sort of an authentic portrayal of a well, Japanese no, perspective uh, by an American uh, filmmaker... And uh-huh. and in regards to war movies, I mean, there have been many, many great war movies over the years in cinema. But well, it just lends that, itself with the film. But I think sometimes it's it's sometimes thing uh, war films can always look the same. Sometimes and mm. it's not, and that's not necessarily a demerit towards the filmmaking. It's just obviously when Saving Private Ryan came out, and Saving Private Ryan was extraordinary. A lot of other war films start going down the Saving Private Ryan yeah. route, and you know, it just there's no. I don't think in terms of war films previously. I think the recently, 1917, Dunkirk, mm. for example, I think they've been ones that really stand out heads and shoulders because of how they present their film, how they showcase the story as yeah. well. Yeah, the interesting thing about 1917 was like, um, this film is, uh, um, Iwo Jima is very desaturated and shaky and mm. because of the, 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 the rock, the island they're on, it's just, it's just lends itself to that look. And it really, really, really enhances the sort of cinematography. What I really liked about 1917 is that although it's World War One and it's trench mm. warfare, there are moments where the colours were just like, were absolutely beautiful. Mm. There's a full spectrum of colour on display. Okay. Um, I, I, really, I really took to 1917. I, I, I really do recommend, the three films I've watched, I recommend them all. I mean, you'll get, mm. they, they, you'll get different, We'll have different experiences of all three True. movies. Um, if you want something a bit more light-hearted, obviously Space Cowboys. If, mm. you, if you can get hold of it, grab it. But yeah. the other two movies, especially Iwo Jima, I, I would, I would um, definitely watch if you can. Mm. Um, and, and, and the other films you mentioned there, 1917. Are, are they re- are they showing that at the moment? Uh, I think certain cinemas are playing it at the moment. I know some people, some cinemas are definitely playing some Dunkirk as well because again, yeah, Dunkirk that, again, is excellent. A lot of cinemas are. are Milking the Nolan back catalogue in the run up to Tenant. Yeah. Which Tenet. we which we've booked our tickets for. Oh, we have. Yes. Excellent. I- IMAX. Opening day. <laughs> Did you just thumb up to the computer? <laughs> I'm trying to work out I'm in framing, so otherwise I've just like I don't want to do It's that. all good. There we it's go. It's all good. It's all good. Man. It's all good. Anyway. So so is that your that's your cinematic week? Yeah, that was job. my cinematic week. Basically just uh Clint Eastwood and a lot of misery. Okay, well I'm gonna take things a little bit down, a more jo- a jovial, a bit, well, a bit jovial, a bit super, a bit. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but let's start off with uh, the deadly game. Now, this is also known as All Things to All Men. I have no idea why these titles have been chosen because it's never referred to in any version of the film. It's the subtitle "Live, Die, Repeat." 
no, 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 no. That's it tomorrow. But um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a crime caper where a thief played by Toby Stevens who turns up as the young Clint Eastwood in Space Cowboys, I think. Oh, can we quickly just talk about that? So the, yeah, okay, just, okay. Um, you have to change the poster. Just oh. in the opening of young of the opening of Space Cowboys, you have the characters played by like in the nineteen fifties, mm. played by younger actors like Toby Stevens, exactly. But the older actors dub their voices, and it's, <laughs> it's strange because it really works. With Clint Eastwood, it's fine because the actor mm. they've cast like just looks like Clint Eastwood in the fifties. Tommy Lee Jones has an old man voice and has always had an old man voice. And it's the most... Trying to sink in with this, even James Cromwell's Cromwell's voice worked-ish because he's still playing an authoritarian figure. But it was just just so... It kind of reminded me of... um, They recently rediscovered... It was about 10 years ago. They rediscovered lost scenes from The Good, The Bad, The Ugly and Mm. for the DVD release back in 2005, 2006. They got Ilya Walsh and Clint Eastwood to re do the English dub because it never been dubbed into English before. Oh, God. And they, they did it as... rather. Than, I wish they'd gotten actors who sounded like they did back in, 19, in the mid-1960s because it just suddenly Clint Eastwood sounds like a 90-year-old man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to raise you a little bit on that one. So, um, play, uh, when Bond games. Uh, I think for PlayStation and GameCube they had um, From Russia With Love and the big Martin Floyd was getting Sean Connery back. To do, the, to do the voice of Bond. Is this for, was this the Wii game? This was GameCube and PlayStation 2, I believe. Maybe Xbox, but it's previous generation game. Yeah. Um, but the thing with this is obviously they brought Sean Connery back, and that's a massive scoop, because considering Connery's history... Sean Avengers, Connery. Sean Connery, of course. Um, so they've, they've managed to get him in. But if you listen to any clips of the game, he sounds so old. It's, and it's like... It, it's kind of heartbreaking away because it's like I appreciate Sean Connery is doing a job, but it's kind of when you just when it's kind of like you think the voice should be nice and youthful. It's like, hello, <laughs> I'm here to stop Spectre. <laughs> Where should I go? Am I being paid? Oh God, would you have preferred them to get like an impersonator? Probably. Right. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, 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 it would have it would have add sales, obviously, and it is nice to slap yeah. that with Sean Connery. Oh yeah. Was Pierce Brosnan in Goldeneye? He what? No, they didn't bring his voice into the Goldeneye. I think no, everything or nothing. Okay, which was the it's a bit, spiritual successor, wasn't it? It was um, everything or nothing was again its own separate Bond game, which was written by one of the Bond film writers, Bruce Fairstein. Um, starred Willem Dafoe as the baddie, actual Willem Dafoe, and I think it also I can't remember who else is in it. I think one of the. I, uh, it's lost me. I'm going to have to look during the intermission and we'll, we'll, we might talk a little bit more. Does, does Sean Bean die in this one as no, well? No, no, no. It's Wonderfoe. Wonderfoe is the baddie. Everything I think is a completely different game. It's kind of like Wonderfoe is trying to take over Russia with mech suits and stuff like that. It's, nice, as you do. It's, yeah, and it has a proper bomb theme sung by, I think, Eva. Ever? I don't know the names. Anyway, why don't we talk about <laughs> the, the deadly, deadly game. game? The deadly game. So, yes. So, Toby Stevens plays the thief. He's hired by London's top gangster, who is played by Gabriel Byrne, to rob a bank vault in the city. However, little does Toby Stevens' character know that he that the job has been set up by a corrupt police officer, played by Rufus Sewell, As you do. who has his own ambitions with the vault's contents. Um, 
I had this on Blu-ray and I couldn't find it in my vast shelves of the Blu-rays, which you can't see on camera. I, I could just start stealing your films and you'll never know. Please you'll never don't. know. Please don't. Um, but um, no, I, I, I wanted to watch this. It was available on a streaming service. I think you can watch this on Amazon or Popcorn Flicks as well if you've got an Apple box. Um, the good things. It's very, very quick. It's now in 25 minutes. And um, <laughs> I do love watching a film that's nice 90 minutes long. It's like they are nice length films. Um, and it's a nice ensemble because all these main actors, Toby Stevens, Rufus Searle, uh, Gabriel Byrne, even Julian Sands is in this, um, <laughs> they've all played villains in various different films or potential villain characters. I mean, Gabriel Byrne, Kaiser Soche in Usual Suspects, or is he? Spoiler. Uh, or, or Toby Stevens' Dine of a Day, uh, Rufus Searle, I think, uh, Knight's Tale, he was the evil knight in that one. Oh, like, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So I just figured that for you know, Ju- Julian boy, San. Julian Sands fought Jackie Chan in the Medallion with Lee Evans, but we don't talk about that film. That film <laughs> clearly was a good film until the editor decided to cut half the film down into a montage. <laughs> so it's it's quite the Deadly Game's quite good of having all these character actors play villains. Like they've all played villains before. They're all playing villainous characters here. That's absolutely fine. the The thing is, it's very generic. Double crosses, triple crosses, and all that are very easy to see. And I think without the quality of the ensemble, this is something you could probably watch. Again, it's like you've talked you talked about the Queen being on Channel 5, but being good. <laughs> this would be on Channel 5, but not necessarily good at all. This is kind of like, oh, this is kind of like Maybe Sky One by the sound. Maybe, of yeah, it, it sounds it it look it looks really nice. It does feel like it's a film. The problem is the storyline that is just it's same old, same old as like, oh, I've been set up. Oh, no, not again. Has someone been watching too many Guy Ritchie movies, basically? Possibly, possibly. Mm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But if you can watch it for free on the streaming channels, give it a go. And like I said, hour and 25 minutes. It's not, it's not much, is it? No. No, not at all. Not at all. Shall we move on to my next film? Go on. Let's liven things up with... And I need to make sure this appears on my screen before I press the button. There we go. Let's talk about Spy. Oh, Spy. I, what, I wanted to catch this at the cinema. Have you, have you not seen this? No, no, I haven't. Okay, actually. so this is comedy directed by uh, Paul Feig. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the film before he went on to do Ghostbusters. And we all but, know Ghostbusters. Yes, we do. But, we, but it was his after Bridesmaids. Uh, this was after Bridesmaids as well. Um, um, so, I, I, I liked Bridesmaids. And, oh, and The Heat, which was Mr. McCarthy and With, um, Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock, yeah. So Melissa McCarthy is the CIA analyst who becomes a spy in order to avenge a mentor. Um, and it, it's, it's generally just a fun setup of spy films. It's basically, it ticks all the boxes. I mean, you've got Jude Law appearing in a small cameo role, being, trying to do his best James Bond impersonation, though he's playing an American agent. Um, I think, as you can see from the poster, Jason Statham is the is probably the treasure of this. Well, he's, because he's the treasure he, he of play, everything. He plays, he plays every other Jason Statham character, but he plays it to 11. <laughs> or he just, he just keeps... Ru- How do you play... Okay, surely Crank. Well, this... Sorry, sorry, surely Crank 2. Well, here's the thing with Jason Statham's character in Spy. Basically, he, he wants to get in on the action, but apparently there, there's a mole in the film that has compromised everyone's identity in the CIA, apart from Melissa McCarthy, because she's an analyst. So Jason Statham wants to get back into, into action. He's been told no, but he's but he just keeps coming up with ludicrous reasons why he is the best man for the job. And it's kind of like things as like, I had to steer a car as it fell from a building onto a moving train <laughs> while it was on fire. Not the car. I. I was on fire. And it's, All right, that sounds pretty and, good. And, and every time he goes into this rant, 
all that sort of rant, it escalates and escalates and escalates to the point that he's just going, really? <laughs> he's, he's just, he just, he wants to have his cake and eat and just be the best spy. But it's just, it's just too bad. He's just so, he's, so, he's a mean, he's a mean guy, but it's just, it's just the, the sheer madness of what he spouts. And he's trying to prove sound, his masculinity. But it sounds like the film's very, it's, it's very much winking at the audience. It is, it is. Right. Um, I just say I love Bridesmaids. Yeah, I hated Ghostbusters. Mm. Where does this film fall? It is better than Ghostbusters. I'd probably say it's not as good as Bridesmaids. I, considering I've seen the film a couple of times now, I still enjoy it. So you would recommend I, it? I recommend it. There are there's a good ensemble as well. Miranda Hart's in this oh, as really? her best as her best buddy. Peter Sinefield, which is in it as nice. a, as a, as an Italian operative who might be a bit too lecherous for his own good. He, I love his little cameos, like yeah. just randomly from um, Hollywood. Yeah, Alison Janney is head of the CIA and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it's a nice little ensemble, and it's it, it's silly, it's daft, um, but the fact is, it's it's very fond of the films that it's it's spoofing or kind of kind like, of like, so a, a more restrained version of Top Secret. Like. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah, in a sense like that. Yeah, like that. That's also so, a very good film. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think Spy's on Netflix at the moment. So go check it out if you can. Um, shall we talk about the last film? Go on. Uh, <laughs> Did, I thought you had this all set up on your phone, so you'd be able to. Well, I'm, I'm teething things. Teething <laughs> things. That's right. This week, I'm, I'm unlikely to disappear. Oh, good. So good. I... Please, please don't disappear. Oh God, I've seen the film you're about to talk about. No. Oh, let's oh. get it over and done with. Superman three. It's not even the worst one. Where do it's I start? It's not even with this? the worst one. Right. So I've watched this quite a few times over the years, and so I already had a strong opinion about this. I think I think in this house there is a VHS copy of this somewhere. Oh, really? And I don't know where. And uh, uh, Probably buried in your film it's collection. Pr- it's, probably, right? it's probably buried in the film collection over there. So, what is Superman 3 all about? Well, <laughs> what the, is it all what about? Is, what is it all about? The Man, of Steel, the, the Man of Steel gets more than he bargained for when he goes <laughs> up against a corporate tycoon played by Robert Vaughan, him of classic Man from Uncle, and computer genius played by Richard Pryor, who seek to use technology to achieve world domination. As you now, do. Now, that, that in a sense is like, okay, it's a little bit far-fetched, but go with it. But here's the problem. And we were having conversations about this. I think I was live messaging you as I was watching this film. <laughs> and here's the thing. I feel that there, the, the question we had to ask ourselves is, was this a Richard Pryor film or a Superman film? No, this is a Richard Pryor vehicle. And he, he takes up almost double the screen time. I, in my, my recollection tells me that he takes up far more screen time than Christopher Reeves, which is crazy because Christopher Reeve plays two versions of himself. Yeah. So you'd, <laughs> despite that, he's still second to uh, Richard Pryor. And the film does... And Richard Pryor is a great comedian. Oh, he's and, and he's fine in this. Yeah. And he, he's do, he does what he does best, but it just doesn't suit the film. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little bit of trivia. I'm going to tell you a little bit of trivia. And um, uh, Richard Pryor in his autobiography, he, he admitted the screenplay was terrible. He okay, knew so he, knew. Screen, he, he knew. knew, but he was being paid five million dollars. I would have done exactly the same thing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's a bit shit, but you know what? I'll go with it. Don't pay my mortgage, <laughs> innit? <laughs> so um, the reason why I feel that this feels more like a Richard Pryor vehicle because there's there's a key point in in the film. I think it's just as we begin the second act, and Robert Vaughan and Richard Pryor they've committed their first dazzling act of technology. They've commandeered a weather satellite and they've made hurricanes appear in Colombia so they can take over the coffee business. And it's like, wow, that's 
Evil. Can I, can I just check? Does Vince Vaughn play a character called Beck Spoofer? No, no, Robert Vaughn. Sorry, Robert Vaughan. Does he? Does it? Oh no, we're live. Does, it, <laughs> does he play a character called Beck Spoofer to make my awesome joke work? I don't think so. Don't no. think so. Like, no. so he's clearly Gene Hackman. No, no, off, he's, he's, he? yeah, he's clearly trying to be Gene Hackman. So they cause a hurricane, and you as you do, as you do, as you do, you see, you see Columbia under threat of all these hurricanes, mudslides, and all that sort of stuff. Cut to the next scene. We're at the top of Robert Vaughan's Corporation Tower, which he's managed to come and make into like a beautiful sort of like ski slope chalet. So fake snow, fake slopes, little cabin. Doesn't doesn't his 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 um his partner? I can't remember the character's name. Isn't she like the most horrendous pink? Like possibly. That's just a possibly. memory. That sticks I can't, to I can't, mind, I can't remember it that much. But the reason I remember this scene quite a lot is they are talking about how evil they they've just done something, and then Richard Pryor comes in and he begins to sort of explain how Superman has stopped this plan. And I do not recall seeing Superman going to stop this thing in Columbia at all. It's it's like... He just blows he blows a gust of wind, doesn't he? It, it was just, it's just basically, oh no, our plan has been scuppered because Superman has come and stopped stuff. So then they decide to plan to how to make kryptonite, which, form, which is not altered carbon, it's an altered kryptonite, it turns him into good and evil clock. We'll get to that bit in a moment. We'll get to that. Oh, okay, okay. But when we <laughs> it's after this whole planning happens, Richard Pryor commandeers a, a pair of skate uh, ice skate, uh, snow skis, whatever they are. And he's he just he just falls off the top of the building, just falls off, skis right down the building <laughs> to the ground floor. Again, this is a Superman this movie. This is a Superman film where we're spending 15 minutes on that. Was it cheaper just to like pay Richard Pryor all that money than to actually put in decent special I, effects? I, I don't know. I don't know, because there's other things here as well. I mean, um, Lois Lane, Margaret Kidder is only in it for two scenes, the start and the end. Yeah. Because I like the fact there's a focus... I mean, for the Superman perspective, in terms of the Superman story itself... I like it. Mm. I like the fact that Clark goes back to Smallville. He's seeing he's seeing his high school sweetheart. He's seeing his school chums and all that sort of stuff. I like that. I like the idea that this version of Kryptonite that that the villains create make him kind of they turn him into like a good Superman, bad Superman effect. I like all that stuff. It's just horribly derailed by a terrible villain yeah. or terrible villains. Well, it's a prize. He, although he's villainous he's, he's played so comedically that you don't really feel he's a genuine antagonist no even though he's the one really causing no not at all, all. The problems i mean my problem my frustration with this film is that there are clearly there are germs of good ideas like you suggest and there are elements of the comics where it feels like there's an element towards the end the third act where it feels like this should have been should have been a brainiac yeah. Um, film. I think uh, they've wanted to do Brainiac for some time. They just they just like, keep going it's, back it's to Lex Luthor. It's never happened in it's the live yeah, action films. It, it never it, happened. It, it happened. I think they've done it in Superman Unbound, which is a DC animated. Yeah, the animators already count, do they? No, because real audiences beyond geekery, they don't care about these, <laughs> no one, do they? No one cares. No about. one cares about animated DC. But you should care about animated Batman. That's true, especially Mask of Phantasm. Yes. Anyway, Superman Um And uh, <laughs> you're talking about the split Superman. That that I always thought that, that clearly they were going to the Bizarro. If you're familiar with Bizarro, who's like a twisted inversion of Superman. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like uh, like a Frankenstein-esque Superman who thinks he's Superman. Um, so yeah, they've clearly plucked up different ideas and mm. then just 
turn it into this strange Richard Pryor um, vehicle, which doesn't as work, do. as you do. do. It's just so terribly ill-conceived, <sighs> the whole movie. I mean, at, at least... At least it's mildly entertaining because I'm. Fa- Are you planning on watching Quest for Peace? Well, I've I've, wa- I've, I've watched the I've watched the first bit. I might as well because I've been doing it uh, Superman film a weekend. Yeah. So and we we did uh, Superman a couple of weeks ago. So yes, I'm on to Quest for Peace this weekend. Right. So you're gonna you're gonna be kissing Superman Freeze ass. Uh, how <laughs> how fantastic it is compared to the horror show that is Superman for oh, colon no. the quest for peace. No no no. Yeah, it, oh, you're gonna be. I, I can't wait for your stream of consciousness to oh. come flooding in through my message, <laughs> through Facebook <laughs> Messenger. Oh dear. I f- I think on that we should end our cinematic week. So basically, Superman three. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all I can make. Three stars. Of- two stars really isn't it <laughs> I, think, I think i gave it two stars i think two and a half i was being generous oh man it's, it's like i said i love i do like the superman bits it's it's everything else it's like what the, what the f are they thinking the, the, the greatest moment in the history of cinema is in superman 3 though it's mm. when the red man and the green man on the traffic lights just <laughs> they start swapping and then they, they go down and start punching each other out <laughs> i mean even even as like a five six year old watching this i was like what? I, I I saw that and I just went, what? <laughs> That's not how technology works. <laughs> oh, it I, does it. <laughs> it's, 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 it's amazing that a, a film like, you know, the 80s, the 70s, 80s Superman movies, you, you accept that a man can fly. You totally believe that mm. he is this dual identity alien. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not a problem. But the, the traffic light scene, that's what... No, out. No, it's like... No, no done. It's like, Invincible Man from Outer Space? Fine. 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 Red and green lights fighting? No, mm. no. <laughs> no. Not at all. Not at all. Anyway, do let us know what you think about the films we've covered in our cinematic week in the Twitch chat. Love to hear your thoughts. We're going to move on to some news. Who likes news? Do you like news, Chris? I like news. Uh, what would you like to start off with? Would you like to start off with some Tron or some 4K? Uh, Tron. Let's start off with Tron. And this is the news that Tron 3 is going to move ahead. It's been 10 years since the first... Uh, no. Legacy. It's almost been 10 years since Legacy. That's amazing. It is. It is. I, I do worry that... Um, I do worry that Tron Legacy is not as good as I think it is because it, it, I, imagine watching it without the Daft Punk score. I think the way I looked... The thing I remember about Tron is like I, I like the visual aspect... I like the soundtrack uh, with Legacy. I wasn't that hung up about the story, to be honest. It was pretty ticking tick tick box. I can can respect it for its place in Disney's sort of filmmaking legacy, I suppose, but I'm not that... I'm not that... What's the word? I'm not excited about Tron 3, but we're going to get one, apparently. Um, So this has come from Empire. Empire have reported that Garth Davis, the director of the Oscar-winning line, uh, the film that got Dev Patel as Oscar, Mm -hmm. uh, he's been attached to the director's chair for Disney. Jared Leto has confirmed he will be one of the stars of it. Okay. And I have have Jared Leto's uh, words right here. we're We're going to read. So I am so very excited and proud to confirm that, yes, I will be starring in Tron. We will work as hard as we possibly can to create something that I hope you will all love. We have some very special ideas in store for you all. See you in the grid. 
Um, and apparently there are reports that Davis actually fought uh, passionately for his role as director, and Leto has also written about his love of Tron's futuristic neon-infused world. Um, I mean, Tron, I mean, Tron outside of Legacy um, has had has had a decent sort of run of form. I mean, they had Tron Uprising, which was the Disney cartoon. It's been to be quite good. That's supposed to be heard, quite good. I've heard high praise. There's also some really cool Tron rides around Disney Worlds. Uh, Disneyland or Disney World Shanghai, I think, has the Tron Cycle one, mm. which is basically yes, yeah, you yeah. just they're bringing that to Disney World in uh, Epcot. Oh, so, cool! So they're currently building that. So it's like. There is still a fondness, I guess, from Disney for... It's, it's quite... It's interesting because the, the, the original Tron was actually a box office bomb. It's yeah, all, it's it It's all developed a cult following. I, I've never really been able to get into it. I, mm. I, like I said, I, I enjoyed Legacy, but I, I think that was purely aesthetic. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's not really a series that's really... I'm with you. has never really captivated me, but I'm mm. interested. I, I'm, I'm glad to go and see a third Tron movie. Mm. I mean, the concept is great. And, yeah. and it surprises me there's been... So few Tron movies, actually, because, again, the concept just kind of lends itself to well, I a think, franchise of sorts. Well, Disney were really hedging their bets, I think, with Tron Legacy because 3D cinema was at the peak of its return again. Um, they were... I remember when I was working at cinemas and I was doing Disney days where you would go and Walt Disney, uh, the Disney company would show you upcoming stuff. They were really pushing Tron. They were going, really? they were going look, put these 3D glasses on, you'll see how cool it is. It's like, yeah, the 3D's nice. I do recall the 3D working better than mm. most of the films. I but. think director, I think it's Joseph Krinsky, or can't, I can't remember the director's name below, but I think the director went on to do Oblivion with Tom Cruise, which uh, again, yes. which wasn't a bad sci-fi film. And I think, I might be wrong, I think he might be doing Top Gun Maverick. I think you might be right. I need to double check that. We'll check that during the intermission. Both, both Oblivion and... Um, and uh, Tron Legacy have great score by French electronic artists. Oh, they're, oh they're, they're close, the closing song of Oblivion is amazing. Oh, Oh, so good. So good. So, yeah, Tron. Tron 3 is due at some point in the near future. (laughs) Like all films. Like all films. Some point in the near future. Some point in the future. Right, I'm going to bring up our next stage because we're going to stick with with Disney. I like the picture you chose for Jared Leto. (laughs) He looks so happy. He looks so happy in that one. Uh, I'm going to turn that one off. I'm hoping this is going to come through. All right, let's move it to the live. There we Yay! go. So let's talk about Disney's decision to kind of forego 4K discs for a good portion. We'll explain a little bit. <coughs> Can I, I, lo- I love the picture from, um, this is from uh, Explitter.com. Oh, you, d- you didn't knock this up. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. Uh, I tried to find the, the, the image that would most, uh, most uh, sum up the situation. But let's talk about the story. So can, basically- I, can I just start with one word? What? Bastards! <laughs> okay, let me explain it to the viewers and the listeners. So, according to reports, and this has been kind of reported by uh, home entertainment sites like Digital Bits and, and Blu-ray.com and that sort of stuff. So, Disney are going to limit what they release on 4K moving forward. So, if it's a Disney animation, if it's Pixar, if it's Marvel, if it's Star Wars, don't worry, you're going to get a 4K disc. Anything else is not going to. Um, now... Obviously, there's obviously there's many reasons this could be the case. Pandemic. Obviously, the pandemic has derailed a lot of things. Well, is, is this is this a is this a permanent? Don't know. I don't know. I think it's just it's not on their on their radar at the moment because obviously last week we we're talking about Disney Plus and Mulan and all that sort of stuff. Disney are really going for it with Disney Plus. Mm. Whether it, I mean some of the content's been great, some of the content's not been so great. Fair enough. Um, but obviously. 
I think the thing from film fans, especially for those who like the physical media, is Disney are just kind of ignoring the the legacy of their live action movies, the ones that are not related to Disney properties. It's like Univista Pictures, stuff like that. But the problem is as well, they brought Fox last year. Yeah, and that's a huge, rich back catalogue. So, so is that mean? Does that mean we're not going to get? We're not going to get a proper Alien box set in four K. I know. Cov- I know Covenant and Prometheus is available. In 4K. And the first Alien, Aliens Free and Resurrection are not. So I mean, that was my, that was generally my first yeah. thought when I read this news. Is I need Aliens yeah. on four K. What the hell? It, it's kind of like what's going to be the measuring stick for Disney to give something a four K outside of those parameters? It's, it seems so strange because I see the other studios fully investing in four K. My wallet is hurting. <laughs> like seriously, the the amount of like I, I've just spent seventy pounds on a pre order of a Dawn of the Dead. What? The, the Dawn of the Dead four K box set. It, it looks fantastic. Oh, I think a second sight have produced it. Um, yeah, it's available pre order for about uh, Blu Ray sixty five four K seventy odd. Have you seen the Infinity Saga box set? Yes, and I would never spend that amount of money on it because I have a mortgage and, like, <laughs> bills to pay. But it's, like, it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous set. You can kill I, someone with I'm it. I'm not spending free. It's like, I have them on, for, most of them on 4K already. I've got, I've got all the available 4Ks. Like, I would love it in that set, but I'm not going to spend 350 quid for it. No. <laughs> I mean, the thing about 4K is that I, I, f- I found that the, 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 the discs are either fantastic or mm. not worth your time. Yeah. Like, um, the, the, Marvel, the Marvel films, they always excel, I feel. Like, mm. I, I used Endgame to test my new equipment. Mm. And um, I'm doing this too much, but... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was, and then, then you get films like the Bourne trilogy, and they just look—they look worse than that's they do it, on that's, Blu-ray. That's universal, though. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm just talking in general. Yeah, like, I think they were—they were some of the first sales car on 4K, and it's like even the, even Lionsgate were were at fault as well because there are some really good Lionsgate discs up there. Sincaro, John Wick—they're really good discs. Hmm. Problem is when they release stuff like that. Should they release films that should look good in 4K, like Expendables or Expendables Two or something? They drop the ball, and it's just because they want to rush out and just capitalize on the format. And I get that, I get that. But the but... problem is, the people who buy 4Ks are the cinephiles mm. who know their stuff, and mm. they're going to be—they're just not going to bother. <laughs> they just won't buy it. They'll go. They'll they'll do what I do. They'll go on the forums on Blu-ray.com. Yeah. They'll see what the first person who's pre-ordered it or like got it by some means. Mm-hmm. I usually test a disc or something. Yeah. And go. Is it good? Nope. Never mind. I'm that's thirty pounds <laughs> saved, and they've just wasted all that time and effort. Mm. And they're just you know. Didn't they didn't need you know, didn't need to digitally smooth everyone's face? No. Term, Terminator Two is one of, is probably my second favorite film of all time. Didn't get a good four K, did it? it? It looked awful. And the, like Arnold Schwarzenegger looked more like a wax doll, and like, it's infuriating. <laughs> like just because oh no, there's grain in this film. How we need to scrub it out? It's no like, one, no one likes grain anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the, the good 4Ks retain the grain, or a level of grain. We, we've we talked about this before. I'm not sure which episode. I think it was probably... For those for those listeners watching, you can go download some of the old previous audio-only episodes. I think we talked about it when we were talking about either Last Days of American Crime or we were talking about Artemis Fowl. You've got a good recall. I have no idea. <laughs> and they all blurred into one, I think, we went over before. So. The whole world's blurred into one yeah. since February. I mean, it's like, I look at some of the 4Ks I've got at the moment, so it's like, I've talked about Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci Code looks okay on 4K, but they that sometimes the noise is too, or the grain is too much. I mean, uh, I mean I the digital I noise. Yeah, dis, yeah, digital noise. I don't know. It just feels. 
<laughs> for a disc that size, why are they compressing it? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. But I think it's frustrating because obviously for Sunny Files, like, like us and for other listeners and other watchers out there, obviously they want physical media. I mean, yes, you get decent picture quality with 4K. I mean, we've been very lucky to have decent internet connections to watch things on Netflix in 4K and Disney Plus in 4K. But but that doesn't that still doesn't I think you still want that physical media. You still want that physical media to at least have a continuous bit rate, continuous sort of picture quality experience, which you don't necessarily get with uh with with streaming. No. Because yeah, I mean it's like it's like during COVID, all the streaming sites decided to lower their, their bandwidth. Mm. So things looked worse. I mean it's like <laughs> Labyrinth mean, looked terrible. I mean that was that, that was reasonable when you take the, the real world consequences yeah. but with me it's a question of ownership because mm. I very much like I, the, you know, the art I like I, I wish to own um, I mean I'm never going to own a Salvador Dali mm. I can own a copy of Aliens on 4k one day hopefully <laughs> but um, hope. it's, the thing is like, people like you and I and other, other like you know cinema aficionados we, we will be happy to spend our hard earned cash on a, a top-notch product. Mm. Like, I'm happy to spend 20 to 30 pounds on a really good-looking film if the film warrants it. Um, I'm not going to spend 40 quid on a free-flavour Cornetto trilogy box set when the Blu-rays look better. Makes so sense. I don't know how that happened, but I know, if, if Edgar Wright's watching, which I doubt, but it'd be cool if he is. Hello, right? Edgar. Hello, Edgar. Hello. What happened? How <laughs> <laughs> furious if I was you? <laughs> like, um, like I, I just want Hot Fuzz in 4K. Hot Fuzz and Aliens. That's what I want. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Okie dokie. Well, that's something we need to keep an eye on. We'll see what we'll see what happens because you never know. Things can always change. These might decide to change their minds. Who knows? <laughs> well, the the, the the power struggle that seems to be going on behind the scenes... It's mm. absolutely fascinating. I, I mean, I'm taking bets. I don't think Disney's going to go bankrupt anytime soon, but it's going to, ch- as a company, it seems to be hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging, I can't yeah. say the word, billions. <laughs> it, it does say it. Does I think say it that seemed to have been in financial difficulties before COVID 19. Mm. So I, I can imagine, imagine if they sold Fox back to Murdoch for like half the price. I don't I, think that'll happen. You don't think so? Or maybe not uh, Murdoch himself, if, but. If, if they were to sell that stuff, I don't think it'll go back to Fox. I think it'll go to something like Universal. Yeah. Universal were quite keen on buying or, uh, or Time Warner. Fox as well. Was it like Warner time. Media? That's it, right? Yeah, Warner Media AOL. Mm. So many different so many different mergers. Oh, so, so many, many different, different mergers. mergers. You know what really bugs me about historical films? I'll bet you there's a lot more that bugs me. Oh my god, we should totally make a podcast about this. What? About what bugs us in historical films? Oh, you are a history teacher. And you are a history graduate. So we can totally discuss what's real in historical films. And what's real. Real? Yeah, you know, like a film reel. They used to have those things before the internet and videos. <sighs> Listen to the Real History UK podcast. Reality is stranger than fiction. And after all, all history is a spoiler. Find new episodes on bunkerzilla.co.uk or on your favourite podcast networks and apps. Good afternoon. Here we have a quiet little motel tucked away off the main highway and as you see perfectly harmless looking when in fact 
it has now become known as the scene of the crime. This motel also has, as an adjunct, an old house, which is, if I may say so, a little more sinister looking, less innocent than the motel itself. And in this house, the most dire, horrible events took place. Right, uh, load up, there we go. Now we can transition. We can transition and talk about yes. Psycho. Nice. 19, it's nearly it's 60 years old this year. That's mad. That is mad. That is absolutely mad. But yes, uh, Psycho, uh, we wanted to, I wanted to cover something Alfred Hitchcock-y because uh, tomorrow Alfred Hitchcock would be 121. I'm amazed that he didn't make it to 121, to be honest. Oh, never mind. He's, he's just going to just pop out of a cask and go... Good evening. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so, well, yes, well, um, no, no, no. if you haven't watched Psycho or don't know Psycho, then the plot is as thus. Marion Crane, played by Janet Lee, mysteriously vanishes after stealing money from her employers. Her lover and her sister are trying to retrace her steps and eventually find their way to the Bates Motel, where its owner, Norman Bates, resides. Does he know anything about Marion's disappearance? Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, that that that's nutshell. I mean, if you are a film fan, you, <laughs> if, if, you, if you haven't seen Psycho at some point, you're kind of going. Eh. So we will be diving a little bit into spoilers here. I mean, is it is it possible in this day and age? I mean, I knew everything about Psycho twenty years ago before I even watched it. Yeah, like I'm just through really like it being parodied to death and like The Simpsons mm. or every horror movie. I mean, like, I, I kind of, I, and I knew about the reveal about Bates and whatnot. It's... I, I love the whole theatricality around how Hitchcock presented this film. Mm. Um, there are posters you can find on the internet where it's just Alfred Hitchcock doing, kind of looking at his watch like that and kind of going, no one will be let into the screen as soon as a showing of Psycho starts because you have to watch it all. <laughs> and obviously because they don't want to spoil the big surprise, the big shock of it all. Um, and in, in essence, a lot of film critics and a lot of film reviewers look at this as the birth of cinema horror, in a sense. Well, the, the modern horror, horror movement, horror. certainly. And, yeah. um, and you, were talking, you were talking a bit before, before we went live about how, um, obviously today, you look, you look at, obviously the psychopathic killer is Norman Bates. Obviously back in the 60s, incredibly frightening. Well, yeah, because it was such an unusual um, concept to deal with. Now, in, in, in this... <laughs> since the 70s, you know, mm. the idea of the serial killer or the sociopath and mm. or the psychopath has become mainstream. Yeah. Um, it's mainstream fodder for most entertainment. And, um, yeah, it's, there's, been, there's been an increase in such cases, from, certainly since the... Um, I, think it was, I think I presume... My understanding is the Charles Manson sto um, story sort of kicked this off to the nth degree in the public imagination mm. and through research the FBI in the 1970s, um, which actually recently got covered in um, David Fitch's... Um, Zodiac. Uh, no, no, no man, Manhunter. Manhunter. Well, uh, yeah, Mind, Mindhunter. 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 So I believe it's just been cancelled, which sucks. Because it, um, it was a very good... It, good um, quite, it felt like quite an authentic um, exploration of the um, these, uh, developing understanding of serial killers and mm. psychopaths but yeah as, and when this film came out such ideas were not well known yeah uh, at all and there's an awkward scene at the end where um <laughs> after the film has reached its climax mm. 
um, there is a, I guess, psychologist? Yeah, yeah, a uh, psychologist. To explain the motivation of the character, because it was... And it's that scene really... That's the only scene, from I think, I mean, from a modern lens, sticks up like a sore thumb, because it is telling us what yeah. I, as an audience... Already, already, already know. Yeah. Um, but it makes sense at the time, because no one, no one would, people would have come out of the cinema of yeah. disbelief. I mean, things of schizophrenia, split personalities and, and so forth, obviously, they're, they're kind of, they were kind of unheard of in, these, in films at that time. Yeah. I think Psycho is probably one of the first films that may have tackled that. Obviously, if there have been previous earlier films, do let us know. Well, I mean, mental health has always been, has, has mm. been touched upon. I say mental health as probably a modern gaze and yeah. a le- less tasteful perspectives on the matter you know mm. like um just people being portrayed as mad um as a shorthand for being an antagonist or whatnot i don't think this film falls into that trap like like i say it feels like the first and sort of modern um interpretation of such uh mm. such figures and it is despite the fact that it's 1960 and you know has the fashion of the 50s and it's, yeah. and it has this um Turn the century hotel, and it's black and white. It still feels fresh. Oh yeah! If we get if we go back to the movie review screen, hopefully we've got a picture of it popping up very shortly. Yeah, oh no, we've got Marion Crane still driving there gently. Yeah. Mother, mother of Jamie Lee Curtis, I believe. Oh really? I think so. I did not know. I believe so. Yeah. Need, to, need to check history. Out history. Facts. Oh, there we go. There's, There's the, the house. Hotel. There's yeah. a wonderful house. Oh, I look. I which, think... which um um. Principal Skinner's mother also. What's that mother? <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact on the um, Universal Studios uh, studio tour, uh, they'll take you on a tram by it and you'll just see Norman Bates getting rid of a body. Really? <laughs> it's kind of like, oops, no. <laughs> and then Norman runs back up to see his... Well, there's a nice picture of... Uh, I like that picture of Hitchcock talking to Jen Lee just well, before the shower I mean, the, scene. The shower sequence, which, ev- again, everyone w- watching or listening to this will know the, the shower sequence. It's incredible. Mm. I mean, like you don't. I don't believe you actually see. No, single, you, you don't see a single stab. It's just you see the knife kind of go against the body mm. a couple of times. Um, but no, you. I think the Gus Van Sant version, which we will never talk about, but in comparison, <laughs> probably went the full hog of stabby stabby. Yeah. But no, you. There's no sign. Obviously, the violence is implicated, but you don't see anything well, you, else. You leave that scene feeling you had. Mm. Uh, it's very similar um, yeah. to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which um, was <laughs> people came out the cinema thinking it was the bloodiest movie of all time, of the so-called video nasty. Hardly any blood in it at all. Mm. Hardly see anything. Yeah, um, it's all all clever, clever filmmaking, mm. clever editing, and um, it's it's up to that point. I don't think obviously Hitchcock had proved himself as a cinematic genius, but I, I nothing to that scale. No, that, that no, is, no. That, I don't think there's anything else like it in this entire body of work no not that at all. one scene could cement a filmmaker's reputation for yeah. many many years but luckily for Hitchcock he had many <laughs> yeah, this yeah is, he has many many on the cake many yeah. things that he did um yeah I think when I think about Psycho I do like Psycho I think it's one of Hitchcock's I think it's one of Hitchcock's most iconic works I think we watching the film after going through it the first time and kind of getting all those story beats and getting those early and getting the story beats and the realisations it does feel very procedurally because you have... It's, it's it's like a play... It's like we were talking before we went live. It's like a play in three acts. You've got the first act, which is Marion Crane stealing money, going on the run. The second act is the detective coming after. The third act is Marion's sister and Marion's lover coming after. And I, I, I do get and I do appreciate it is the building of suspense. It's the building towards the moment where you find out the truth about Norman Bates and his mother. 
<laughs> and yes, the reveal is still it's still I, amazing. I, I still think the reveal is very effective. And again, first time I watched this, I knew everything that happened in this movie. Mm, yeah. Uh, just either through like being told or cultural osmosis. Mm-hmm. And I still found it quite shocking. Yes. Um, again, only the end scene, the the you know the expositionary scene is the only scene that really took me out of it. But I can forgive it because it was necessary. Um, but no, I mean the Norman Bates character is still quite unnerving. I mean, it's interesting. You, talk, you say it's 60 years since this film came out. I think he's still part of the conversation of the most <laughs> generally terrifying um, horror mm. villains. Because I think, to, an, to I think Anthony Perkins is amazing in this. Mm. And it's it's like, there are times when you do feel a bit sorry for, for Norman. Because obviously, if he's living with a very intense Horrifically mother, controlling mother. Yeah. Yes, obviously, it, it creates those sort of tendencies, I suppose. Um, obviously, the the frustrations and all that sort of stuff. You you can you can empathise. Yeah, you can empathise a bit. And I was reading up on on how on how obviously because again, it's like I say, we shouldn't talk about Gus Van Sant's version. But <laughs> the fun the thing that people found was it's like Vince Vaughn being Norman Bates. Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn. Not Robert Vaughn. No, no, Vince, <laughs> Vince Vaughn, Vaughn. The right Vaughn. <laughs> it's like. Uh, wasn't that wasn't that remake frame by frame? Yeah, shot by shot. <sighs> Even with the music, Just in the music. Oh gosh, the music! Yes. I haven't talked about the music. You know, um, trivia. Bit of trivia here. Hitchcock uh, tripled the score composer's salary after um, after he completed work on Psycho because basically he said said that made a third of the film work. Basically, that is an important third of the film. Oh yeah. So uh, without pretty- that music. I mean, can you can you imagine? I mean, it, the the um the shower scene, mm. the score to that, is probably the the thing you first pick yeah. up on, yeah. as, either as a kid or oh, yeah. like, just as a general mm. consumer of mass media. Um, and can you imagine that scene working without it? No, it's like Star Wars without John Williams' score. It originally, work. originally, it was going to be silent. It was going to be silent and. Just with sound effects. Had he already completed the birds by this point? Was the birds? Think- I'm not sure, but the apparently the score for Psycho convinced him otherwise to put uh, to convince him to put the music in for that segment. Yeah. So yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, we could talk about Psycho tons and tons and tons, but obviously we've got other films to review. Um, but no, absolutely. If you haven't seen Psycho yet, there is a 4K coming. Shocking from Universal. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Universal can give us 4K of some classic Hitchcock movies, but Disney won't give me Aliens. But no, I think I do. I think Psycho Psycho is a great work of Hitchcock's. It probably isn't my favourite Hitchcock film. Still, I still think it's North by Northwest. That's the same for me um, as well. But the fan base I respect and I admire the film for what it is. Um, there's the there's the biopic Fancy Hopkins Hitchcock, which is worth watching because it is kind of a nice dramatic dramatized look behind the scenes of how the film came together, like the fight with the MPA to get the film into cinemas and, and so forth. Um, because I think the 4K is supposed to uh offer the film uncut. And it's like, really? What how much what how I, much I mean, more appa- is apparently apparently there is a German print of the film where it is proper, apparently uncut. Oh, so that'd I, need be interesting. To, I probably need to research that a little bit more. But that is something that's been offered on the 4K disc. Interesting. Um, so it'd be interesting to probably revisit then. But as it stands, it's a nice way to celebrate his 121st birthday. So uh, no surprises. Uh, I think we're in agreement. Psycho, five, five stars. stars. Yep, yeah, absolutely. In 
an old country of Shlupska. I am ditch digger. As far as jobs in Shlupska, it's pretty good. We are the Greenbounds, and we have American dream. I find good job in Pickle Factory. Sara, I make this vow. In 100 years, our family will prosper. And then one day, everything changed. It's been 100 years. The pickle brine preserved him perfectly. It's too old to do that. The world has changed. Everyone I know is gone. We were able to track down a great grandson. Greenbaum. Greenbaum. <laughs> this is nuts. Anyway, let's talk about American Pickle. Uh, this is a film that's already available on HBO Max in the US. Or if you're in the UK, you can go see it at the cinema. And it's taken full advantage, obviously, of the COVID situation. Uh, this stars Seth Rogen as Herschel. He is a humble man who has immigrated over to America. And he is found to live in being just a simple rat beater at a pickle factory. <laughs> Unfortunately, he falls into some pickle juice and gets perfectly, uh, pristinely sort of preserved for 100 <laughs> years, where he gets uh, freed and then is, then is kind of put into the care of his great-great-grandson, also played by Seth Rogen. And thus, uh, Herschel tries to find his way in a, a new world where all his loved ones are gone and he only has one family member left. And that's and that's basically the plot in, in a nutshell. In a pickle. Um, in a pickle. No. Yeah, in a pickle. I don't like pickles. <laughs> <laughs> pickles but, are good for you. But I do I, I like this film. I like it's a it's a very quirky comedy. I think the premise yes, the premise is very silly. It's very fantastic. It is it is silly, but the film knows it's silly. I yeah. mean, there's a, there's a, the moments at the beginning where the, I, mean, I don't want to give too many yeah. jokes away, but the the explanations for him surviving are just <laughs> thrown away so <laughs> so quickly. Like. Oh, I love that bit. I really. It's like the little bits of it is like, and then the Cossacks came. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, just a bit more context. It's probably yeah. it's worth explaining that the character mm. is a Jewish migrant yeah. um, escaping persecution from. It's meant to be. I, I read it as Russia, but yeah. it's kind of a, a made-up Eastern mm. European country. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the Cossack was it Cossacks who were the, uh, the. I think it's Cossacks. Yeah, yeah the, Cossacks, the Cossacks. Yeah, they um they had their bane of his existence even mm. in the twenty first century. <laughs> it's like any anything Russian related is Cossacks. Like yeah, vodka poster. No. 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 <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, so yeah, it's very quirky. The humor. It's like. I found that opening segment very funny. Yeah. It's just, it's just the whole sort of, oh, this has happened, then this, then this, and then I fell into crying. <laughs> again, um, again, it's very much winking at the audience yes, all the way through. absolutely. And I think when you get past that quirky comedy, and again, the film is quite short, it's under 90 minutes, we do love our short films here. <laughs> um, it's still quite... I, I think to there, there is heart behind this film. Mm. I think I, I think when... Back in the day, you say Seth Rogen film, you always think about gross out humour. You think about things like Superbad. You think about things like Pineapple Express. Mm. I think Seth Rogen in his last few films, especially, I, I love Longshot. Yes, Longshot I really, I, I think that's an underrated little gem. I, I think more people should watch that. Mm. Um, uh, it's Charlie Theron, isn't it? Charlie yeah, Theron yeah, as the, well. Yeah, the chemistry between them is great. It's, it's, it's basically, it's, an, it's a gender-swapped version of Pretty Woman, mm. in effect. I think the film even... Yeah, about kind, of, kind of jokes about that as yeah. well. Um, um, but yeah. the fact is, Seth Rogen 
knows what makes a character work. I think he's I think he's been able to sort of play roles and do productions that he's very interested in. Obviously he's behind shows at the moment like The Boys and Preacher yeah. and stuff like that. So he's got a very varied sort of I think he's working on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as well at some point. Oh they're rebooting that. Yes. Okay. Again. Movie movie wise of course. Yeah. TV I think it's already done several yeah. several many times. It's still running. Um <laughs> so yeah I think I, I like this film. It's it's quite a horror. I think Seth Rogen I think Seth Rogen's really, really good in this because he's he's doing double duty. He's playing two characters. And sometimes for actors, you're playing two characters, it's very easily seen like they're one and the same. But I think that I think one of the strengths, especially with American Pickle, is that they both have characters. They both have a sense of identity. You've got Herschel who is trying to find his way. He's he's not sort of and also he's not sort of someone who feels like he's lost in views. He's just going, I'm going to do this, off I go, mm. in a sense. Whereas the grandson, Ben, played by Seth Rogen as well, he is trying to kind of... Well, we get an understanding that he's suffered a personal tragedy with his family because yeah. he's, he's the last member of his family. His parents have died in a car crash a couple of years before the film starts. Um, but you get, a, you get a sense that there is something about their passing that has not settled well with Seth Rogen's character, that, that Seth Rogen's character. And you get... And it builds because you kind of wonder what is it building to, but... Ultimately, in a sense, it is about having to deal with grief and and dealing with family and dealing with faith. Well, yeah, I mean, the legacy of family it, it, it's <laughs> dealing with the legacy of your family. It, yeah. it, it's it's literally presented as a problem yeah. for him. Mm. And um, I I'm not entirely sure. I'm I'm in agreement with you in terms of the performances. I actually I think Seth I I like Seth Rogen playing the modern character. Mm. And I will say this, it's nice to see films where a lead is playing the same character and you don't get the awkward split line where they've tried to merge <laughs> the film together. Like... It, it does look very organic, which yeah. is really good. Yeah, Hollywood is masters. Unlike Superman 3. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the, I found, obviously he's a character, he's, he's dealing with grief and the, um, the expectations, not just of family as well, but society. He's a, mm. he, unlike the Herschel character, he is utterly vulnerable to the opinions yeah. of others and that actually has a detrimental effect on his, oh, yeah. his aspirations in the film. Um, the Herschel character, my, I, I liked him, I found him amusing, but the problem is he's a, he felt a bit too Borat-like for me. Um, the, <laughs> the, the accent, first of all, I don't think the accent worked. I think the accent, I mean, it came across as, again, there were moments where he sounded too Borat. I can see I can see what you mean by him sounding too Boratish, but again, no. from a character's perspective, he's not he's not doing Borat or trying to find a woman and going very nice. Uh, no, no, that's what I'm saying. It's it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a far more family friendly version of mm. Borat. I would say um, it, the, it's it's the same. It's the same. With the fact that it's it's an outrageous character from from mm. an, an alien time or world yeah. who can get away with doing outrageous things because he has been removed from that natural environment. Yeah. Um, there's even a scene that's quite reminiscent to you. Um, um, I thought it was a bit too derivative of, of Borat's Kazakhstan, which is actually a village in Romania. Mm. And when they go back to, I think it's Splilt or something, oh, yeah. like that, the home nation, which is basically uh, ex-communist Russia falling apart. Mm. Um, I, I just thought it was. There were moments where it was a bit too derivative of of Borat, and the problem is, Borat is a nasty film. I mean, I love it, but it's, it's a vicious movie. It's a film. The, it's a film I can't imagine flying well today. Well, no. In, in fact, 
this this film, although it deals with similar mm. s- similar themes in terms of the, the alien character who is outrageous, mm-hmm. the film is its heart is much bigger. Okay. It's, it's got it, this film is very. It's in some ways it's kind of family friendly. It's just, um, but it's, it's a twelve A. It's twelve A. Yeah, twelve A. Yeah, and I, I think it, it doesn't jar. I feel I feel this film either had to go a bit further one way mm. or t- tone it down the other. Okay. There's one moment where Herschel becomes he basically becomes like a, an exaggerated version of Ben Shapiro. Or, mm. or, or like a Milo Yiannopoulos. Oh, becomes... yeah, I know. It's when he has the... Because he has he goes from the pickle business to kind of being like a pop... Very popular on the sort of like trendy indie food scene to then kind of getting a Twitter account and then becoming kind of so controversial that they have to have talks and debates. Yeah, and he effectively becomes like an, an alt-right commentator. Yeah. yeah, And it's amusing, but I don't think the film really knows what to do with these gags because, mm. it, it, again, it just feels... Everything feels a bit thrown away. Okay. I think the film works... The film works best when they are... They're bonding over their grief and mm. their, their their familial ties. Yeah. And the subplot... There's a subplot of the Jewish cemetery... Yeah. ...which um, Herschel wants to restore. Mm. Things like that works really well. Yeah. The other tangents, I'm not too sure. It feels a bit like it's like they're too disparate. So there's there's a there's a bit obviously there's a portion of the film where Herschel decides to go run a pickle business. Hit the younger the younger generation, Seth Rogen doesn't particularly ben want to do it. Ben, yeah. yeah, doesn't want to do it. But as Herschel's pickle business gets successful, he becomes jealous, quite bitter and resentful. And then he tr- he tries to derail it, and then it gets even. And then it gets better, and then he moves over to Twitter, and again he tries to derail him there. Yeah, um, I, I, those bits I can, I can understand, and it's, it becomes that the main character becomes less sympathetic. You kind of just I, think he's just, just being a jealous little brat. Yeah, and it's just because, despite Herschel's problematic nature, it's obviously you understand it because of the character who yeah. he is. Like the, you know, he's plucked out of a different time. Mm. Um, Seth, I was about to say Seth Rogen's character. That's yeah. not helpful. <laughs> ben, Ben, when Ben becomes more um, of an ant- um, antagonist, because he's the closest thing to a villain the film really has. Yeah. Um, it, it, the film becomes less fun, yeah. and I, I found it a bit grating at periods because I, you just felt like, you know they're going to reconcile. Yeah. You know that he's going to confess what he's actually done. You yeah. know they're going to have a heart to heart, and yeah. it just it, it becomes. So pedestrian. I mean, this film even needed, like I said, this film need even needed to go more, more Borat and more, more edgy, mm. uh, more harsh, or it needed to go re- retain its sort of it, its heart, but maybe go more in a surrealist uh, okay. direction. Because I, I, that's All how right. I felt the film was setting up. I mean, especially with the scientists at the beginning and things like yeah. that. I mean, it's a great concept. I mean, it is silly. It is very silly. But there's. Mm. There was lots of things they could have done with this, mm. which they didn't, and okay. and I think where the film fails, it just it just makes it a bit boring, a pedestrian. In terms of the jokes, though, I laughed at every joke. Mm. I didn't I didn't belly, you know belly chuckle. I didn't I didn't g- guffaw quite loudly, but, but the, I did, the, I did the consistently are, yeah. laugh. Yeah, yeah the the, joke, the jokes are. I think a good portion of jokes are in good nature as well. It's not necessarily. It's like. I can imagine if you're going down the Borat side of things. I can imagine some jokes being very mean spirited. It could, yeah, yeah, which um, would have been fine if that, if it was if it if it was tonally consistent and you know yeah. it, it took a different direction. My yeah. my problem is that film. It feels like the film is taking different 
it's going in different directions that aren't particularly complementary and it doesn't know how things are going to tie up. Yeah. I mean, there's some plot points that just kind of resolved in a, in a kind of awkward beat. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, and everyone was happy. Yeah. It, 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 it's just, I mean, this, this does feel like a TV special. I think it obviously explains why it's on HBO Max. Well, yeah, I, I don't, I don't get the impression this was made f- with cinema in mind. I, I, yeah. The last thing I will say Sorry. is um, the the audience I saw it with it was actually quite, it was quite packed. Okay, um, it was around about thirty people in there. We're mm. um, all wearing face masks. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's easy. It's like I don't know if people complaining. It's a pain convention. It's a pain convention. Yeah. <laughs> um, although mine was a Matilda one from you know Rod Dahl. So oh, so you thought that Rod Dahl would save you? Oh, please don't. Anyway. <laughs> I will. Um, but I, I, only me and two other people were laughing. Everyone else was stony silent. So mm. maybe the people of uh, Whiteley Village just don't have a sense of humour. But. Um, <laughs> Maybe me and the other person Harsh from words. Southampton. Harsh words. But I, I could tell the audience... I don't think... The, the audience didn't feel bored, but I didn't feel like people were particularly impressed. Mm. Well, again, I think I think one of the credit, the good things about the film is it is short. I think, yeah. if, it, I think if it was the same, if it was that style for, like, two hours, it would be... Oh, it would, it. it would overstay its it welcome. Would, yeah, yeah. I think, ultimately, the way I look at this is I like the film. It's all right. It's a nice distraction. Mm. Um, touches touches on some prescient things. Yeah, yeah, it does. The question is, is this a film I'm going to pull out and watch again in a few months' time? It's not. I don't think it's going to be. Um, the fact is, if I'm going for a Seth Rogen film, I'd be looking again at Longshot. I'd be looking. Mm. I would be looking at Pineapple Express. Um, it's just, it's a nice film. I like the film. I like there's heart in it. It's watchable. It will amuse you for an evening. It, 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 especially on a streaming service, it will amuse you for an evening, but I don't think it's going to do anything more. And with that in mind, I I can't give it any more than three stars. No, I was I mean it was it was I was jumping between three and four while I was watching it because like, when it, when the film works and it hits its stride, mm. I think you know, it's, it's generally brilliant. And and the, I did find myself laughing at all the gags, and despite despite my criticisms, I did you know I found the characters endearing and I found the story quite sweet, but. It's just, it's just, it's missing. It, 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 it seems to be a lack of direction. Not entirely sure what it wants to do with the story, um, and the characters, and yeah, it just feels like there's something missing here, which is a bit more, a bit mm. more frustrating. I, I would recommend it. I yeah. Would, if it, if it's on, if it's available to you, I wouldn't go out of your way to watch it. Mm. But if it's on TV or you just want to switch off. I think you're. I'd be surprised yeah. if you didn't enjoy it. Yeah, I, it, I think there is something for the casual comedy fan to enjoy here. Yeah, but um, I, I, I'm with you. I think three stars is a generous. Mm. I, I think it's just right. Mm. I think it, it, it's good enough. It, it doesn't outstay its welcome. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would because mm. I remember seeing the trailer. I was thinking, mm, possibly. But the fact of the matter is, the reason we're seeing it is because it was the only new film release at the cinema. Yeah, and quite, so, and quite a lot of people seem to have yeah. flocked to see it. I think yeah. flock's probably the wrong word. But I, I do have to break the news to you that Unhinged is still the number one film in the oh, UK. No. It made £120,000 last week. That's, oh, well. that's probably not even how much Russell Crowe was paid to be in this dreadful movie. Uh, I, I will say, the, the American Pickle is miles above yes. unhinged in terms yes. of like quality <laughs> film yes. making. Absol- absolutely, absolutely. So, American Pickle, three stars. Uh, American viewers, watch on HBO Max right now. 
UK audiences, you can see it at the cinema right now. Certificate 12. So that brings us to the end of another episode of Film Thank you very much for listening. As always, we'll be back next week with another episode. I really don't know what we're going to watch next time. I have no idea. I, th- I think Project Power is going to be out on Netflix, which is the Jamie Foxx, Joseph Gordon-Levitt superhero movie. Oh, is it a comic book adaptation? It's or? not. I think it's an original film. It's about... Mm. It's about a, Basically, uh, Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt and a third character are trying to stop this criminal organisation releasing uh, drugs that give people superhuman abilities for five minutes. So it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a cop thriller meets superhero. I, I, I'm going to just hazard a guess. The villain is Syndrome. Possibly. Uh-huh. Possibly. But I thought I wasn't going to go to the cinema this week. But then Showcase... So wonderfully put Inception in the biggest screen in Ooh. Reading for a fiver a ticket. Nice. So uh, I'm. I think we should. I think in the build up to Tenant, we should watch Inception. Inception. Well, yeah. I've got the four K at home. So I've got the four K there. So, <laughs> so yeah. So we'll at least we'll be talking about Inception next week. It, it's the it's the build up to Nolan. It's no. It's Nolan Mania. <laughs> it, it, what month are we in? August. August. Oh, I was hoping it was November. That it could be Nolan November, but it doesn't really work, does it? Nolan no, Nolan Nov. No. Why are we trying to be market? Why are we trying to market the? Yeah, that's no, the, the, the celebration job. of Nolan. It's their job to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. Warner Brothers, sort out a celebration day. Something like that. I don't know. But uh, yes, as always, you can email us at filmroll at bunkerzilla.co.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch at Bunkerzilla UK. And uh, yes, give us a follow. Doesn't doesn't cost much, but you'll be able to find out when the next shows on Twitch are coming. And uh, I will be streaming over this weekend. Might play a bit more full, guys. Who knows? And uh, Lizzie is here on Sunday playing Dragon's Age Origins. But as always, thank you very much for listening. Have a lovely Wednesday night. In try and enjoy the heat because my God, is it? It's, it feels a bit cooler, but it is still ungodly warm. I don't think I'll be able to move from the couch. I think I, I'm I, sealed to it right I now. Th- I think our sweat is sealed to it, and I and I, and I, and I worry about that. But, I hope that's my sweat. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> but uh, but until next time, thank you very much for watching. I have been Ian Bolton and I've been joined by Christian Allen. I'm melting. He's melting. He's melting. Oh, what a world. Until next time, <laughs> keep it cinematic. Bye. Namaste.